to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you might be tuning in, welcome. Today, I'm wrapped to introduce you to Caroline Stedman from the class of 2011. Caroline is articulate, well-spoken, strategic. She's a go-getter. She's a goal-setter. She's a high achiever and one who is self-motivated to push herself to be the best she can be. It's a fascinating conversation. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this chat with Caroline Stedman from the class of 2011. I'm going to begin our conversation today by asking Caroline, when did you begin your Yarra Valley Grammar career? I started at Yarra um, in year seven. So I started my senior year school, school years, um, mm-hmm. coming from a different junior school and starting with a massive cohort um, okay. altogether. And that could be overwhelming. It could be exciting. It could be daunting. What were your early reflections of starting on mass with year seven and potentially hundreds of others? Definitely daunting comes to, to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know anyone in terms of I was the only person from my primary school uh-huh. coming across. Uh, so it was very evident that I needed to make friends. Um, and when you're presented with 140 other people in, a, in the George Wood Performing Arts Centre, you quickly realise um, that you're going to have to put yourself out there yes. and start to meet new people. And how did that go for you? Like, were you, uh, from memory at least, were you a shy, retiring, not wanting to put yourself out there and you really had to push beyond your comfort zone? Or was it something that came naturally for you to go and just chat to anybody? Definitely not naturally. I'd say when I first meet people, I'm very much um, an introvert. Mm. Uh, It takes me a while to warm up, but then I very much am an extrovert. Uh, But I remember meeting one girl in particular and we just latched onto each other. So I had one person. That helps. And that definitely helps. And often part of the recommendation, maybe by a leader of the middle school at that time, is if you can go home today knowing one person, that could be enough. Yes, definitely. And it sounds like you took that on board and you found that one person. Did that one person continue to show up through your journey through school or was it just for the first couple of weeks? No, they, they definitely did. Um, so we had that one person and we were sitting just before while we were mingling and I vividly remember and I'm reminded by this by the other girl that joined the two of us. Uh-huh. Um, Mr. Lawrence came over and introduced uh, Amber and I at the time to Jackie. Uh-huh. And so the two became three. Right. Um, and did and, that still work? And that still worked. Good. Um, Jackie might <laughs> beg to differ on that <laughs> because I'd had my person and now she was sharing my person. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, we look back at that fondly because the friendship between Jackie and I is to this day very strong. Fantastic. Do you recall anything that the school might have intentionally done to help students connect and meet one another in terms of was there... Uh, activities early on or a camp or excursions that that might have actually been designed to help you meet one another? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you test my memory, (laughs) but um, I was one of the first year seven groups to go on camp. Mm -hmm. I almost feel we had two days of in the classroom and then on the Monday we were on camp. Wow. Bang. Away. 
great. And uh, it was a, it was definitely you were thrown in the deep end in yes. a sense. Um, I'm very lucky that Jackie and Amber were on the same camp. So I had yeah. the three of us were able to go together and, and that definitely that whole experience, you just, you have to let down your walls and let people in because mm. you're out of your comfort zone and so are they. Yeah. Um, and I yeah, vividly remember that kind of hitting off my senior school yeah. with a bang. Yeah. So you move fairly quickly through year seven and uh, there's some joys and some fun that is to be had. As you move through year eight, maybe year nine, so, but let's hold it to middle school. Within your time at middle school, do you recall a, a place that you liked to hang out? Was it on the ovals, for example? Was it lining up in the caf or the canteen tuck shop queue? Were there particular spots on the property that you liked to be? If we go back to middle school, definitely, and um, I'm glad we went on a bit of a walk before this because it's underneath the white umbrellas outside the front. Which is still there. Of the middle school, which are still there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, very vividly remember sitting on a sunny day, uh, morning tea yes. with a group down there. Yeah, great. And what do middle school kids talk about? It's <laughs> a good question. It's a very good question. Um, I'd say there's a lot about um, potentially what lessons we do and didn't like. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, a bit of the, judgment there, you know, such and such a teacher, or I didn't understand that bit anyway. And what was they talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if there were certain sporting activities that we were interested in or not interested in. Mm. So I was a very sporty person. So I was always involved in the extracurricular swimming and cross country. So, yeah. you know, I gravitated to conversations around that. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, there's that, what are you doing after Saturday sport on the weekend? Uh -huh. yeah. Um, yeah. And if we could catch up and if there were, you know, you're kind of getting to the age when you're hitting year nine and there's parties involved. Mm. So that's a whole new learning curve. For sure, for sure. So you touched on uh, sport and Saturday sport and, and for many people coming into a, a school setting like Yarra, Saturday sport is an, an add-on. It's something that they haven't necessarily done. Maybe in primary school they played local sport uh, with a, a club, a team. Saturday sport is something that um, it does take effort and commitment. Were you, by the sounds of it, perhaps somebody who looked forward to Saturdays because you could play sport with your friends? What sorts of sporting fields did you enjoy to be on? Where did you play? Yeah, so when I joined in year seven, I think I chose uh, basketball and, and tennis as my two sports, but I remember them having a hockey kind of day to try and get some more girls to play hockey. So uh -huh. after that day, I quickly swapped from basketball to hockey. And so my sports moving through right from year seven to year 12 were hockey, tennis and swimming. And I was very much someone who who enjoyed it and, and loved the, the element of um, getting up on a Saturday morning and playing a team sport and getting some exercise. Uh, and um, also then pairing that with club sport as well. So my poor parents, they were running me around. Oh, so... <laughs> <laughs> all right, shout them. out to all the parents. <laughs> right, so you tried to maintain your club sport as well. Yes, I did. So I did club tennis and club hockey. So summers wow. and winters, there was no relief. It was busy. It was busy. So wow. I was natu I naturally gravitated to sport, so it was never a chore for me. Yeah. And trainings were never a chore in that sense. I mean, when it got to 10 degrees <laughs> on a Thursday night after school. I in mean, the rain. I, in the rain. It wasn't <laughs> pleasant. Um, but afterwards, you always felt great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
All right. So from a, a co-curricular perspective, sporting pursuit was, was part of it. What other co-curricular things did you head towards, did you try out in terms of, um, were there computer clubs? Did you like the chess club? Were you involved in music or drama? What other things did you take advantage of? Oh, I, I tried everything. Uh -huh. um, and it was more of a case of putting myself out there to tr see what I liked. Um, and so from the year seven music program uh -huh. where everyone's given an instrument, um, that kind of tickled my interest, if you call it. And I did start off with the trombone, which wasn't practical. So I quickly decided, asked mum and dad if I could learn to play the flute. Uh -huh. And so then when you do the private lessons, you're pulled into the school band. And yeah. so I did that up until about year 10 and realized, you know what, music isn't for me okay. and wasn't going to be for me. Um, but it was definitely something I wanted to try. Yeah. And it was a similar thing with uh, drama. So whenever they had a school production, I would audition or mm. put my um, hand up to see what was involved. Um, but no, if I really think back to what I most enjoyed, it was the sport. Yes. Would you say that people living in the same household as you, when you decided trombone was not for you, was there some relief? I think so, because it didn't fit in the car boot <laughs> very easily. Um, and it made a, a loud noise, but I think, you know, I have very supportive parents. And when I said, well, I'm, I'm not keen to do trombone, but I'm keen to do flute. That's a much more pleasant sound when you're learning. Yes, yes. Um, Even if you get it wrong, it still sounds better. Correct. Correct. <laughs> so, no, I had a lot of fun with that. But um, if I were completely honest with myself, I put more of my interest lay in sport. And so I got behind on the music lessons and mm. I vividly remember miming a few things in the band. So. <laughs> oh, so, ah. Oh. Any other things that you need to confess? No, this is no. a, a, <laughs> we might get to some of those in a moment. Um, so co-curricular wise, sport seems to be luring you in and, and you loved it and you enjoyed it and you said yes to this and this and this, which is terrific. Um, what about academically? Was there things that drew you in academically? Maybe as you move through middle school and into senior school, electives and options become possible. Were there some things that really opened your eyes in that process? Yeah, definitely. So I think coming into year seven, if we go back to then, I was always nervous of my maths ability. Um, and so through some hard work, uh, I knew that maths was going to be important. And obviously you have to keep it until I think year 11. Hard work by you or hard work by your maths teachers? Both. <laughs> um, so if I think about where I grew most academically in a subject that I didn't necessarily like, it would be maths. And that is a credit mm. to the teachers. And I vividly remember in year eight, there was a turning point uh, in terms of how I showed up to maths class and my attitude, uh, which then I was able to carry through. And um, I did maths all the way to the end of year 12. Mm. So something... Something that I didn't think I would be taking all the way through to year 12, but yeah. it's, a, I guess, a credit to a change in attitude on my side and then mm. the teaching that I had. That's awesome. Um, in terms of other academics, I was always drawn to, to food and have been. Mm. And I knew that um, when you, I think you start to get electives in year nine, and that's where I picked up, I think there were three food subjects and I did all three. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and you loved 
because you enjoy eating food or is it you love preparing food? When did that start? So food has always been a part of my being and I vividly remember when I was six years old and in primary school, um, we learnt how to make a recipe and the recipe Mm -hmm. was pancakes. So very simple for a six-year-old. But that whole process stuck with me and it wasn't necessarily just following the recipe and creating something. It was the joy that food brings when you're around other people. Mm. And I think that is what I am attracted to. I'm attracted that it brings people together um, and, you know, it's an enjoyable process for me to make. Mm. Uh, and that's that's how I, I like to give as well. Mm. So, yeah, definitely food was one of those subjects that I knew straight away was going to be in my top all the way through to year 12. And so you you did you, you carried through a food food tech type subject in year twelve as well. Yeah, so I did. I took the option of doing a VCE elective in year ten and eleven. Yes, right. Yep. So I brought it forward. Yeah. Um, and at the time, food technology was a subject. Yes. And so that was the elective that I dipped my toe in the water to understand what was coming in yes. year twelve. Um, so I did units one, two, and year ten, and yep. three, four, and eleven, and. Through that process, you know, we do a food for portfolio and we did lots of cooking and lots of thinking in terms of different ways to approach food. Mm. Um, and that really got my, my thinking about what I wanted to do after school. Mm. Without talking about numbers, you continued through and you did finish your 12 at Yarra Valley Grammar. And did you get what you needed to get where you wanted to go? And where were you heading? Yeah, um, I was extremely motivated and I remember saying to Ms. Carvel in year 11 that I wanted a 50 in food. And, okay. and that's yeah. the kind of attitude that I took through all the way to the end of year 12, right. irrespective of what I needed. Um, and that yeah. is my personality and has been to this day uh-huh. um, that I, I do like to achieve and that's what motivates me, irrespective of what I needed. Mm. So... Um, that kind of gave me a first taste in year 11 going after a goal Um, and then I knew once I kind of narrowed down the courses that were of interest for me um, for after school there was a number that Mm -hmm. I needed to hit Mm -hmm. um, but I knew I wanted to get above that and that was just an internal motivation. Yes so so I want to tap into that a little bit further where does that motivation come from is it is it uh, something that's been set as an example for you at home or was it uh, an aspirational thing that you looked up to in a I don't know maybe a a local sports person or a a, a elite sports person that kept striving and striving where does that you say it's an inbuilt desire to do my best but it must come from somewhere yeah I call it this um kind of flames in my tummy feeling Uh and I I, when I get that I know I want to go after something right and I, gosh, I think it comes back to year eight where we were asked to do a project on who is our mentor. Right. And, you know, people came with sporting people and came with, um, you know, elite business people. And I just thought, well, the person who motivates me on a daily basis and who is also my mentor to this day is my dad. Mm. So he's been very influential in this inner drive that I have. Um, because of what I've seen him succeed and, mm. and where he's got to in his career is something that I'd like to achieve. Mm. And so I think recognising in year eight that, yes, he is my role model, but now he's my mentor. Yeah. He's very much been influential in that inner drive. Mm. 
there are times in every young person's life where mum and dad are not your favourite. <laughs> there are times when, and from a parent perspective, your parents are doing the best they can, but it just doesn't seem to hit home with the kids. And, you know, I'm a father of three and very proud, And but there are times when all three of them don't agree with the, the way I'm doing things and the, the effort I'm going to, and it just doesn't kind of land. But to have a, a such a, 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 I don't know, whether it's a, a, a proud moment to recognise that your dad is somebody who not only does he care for me and love me, and but he, he also has achieved and succeeded and, and he's, he's a mentor, for you to recognise that young is, is potentially really significant. Do you think that changed your connection or relationship with him in any way? Or did you still have your moments where... Oh, no, Dad and I still have our moments. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably going to listen to this and go, we still have our moments. (laughs) Well, that's good if you can both recognise that. Yeah, absolutely. No, and they're definitely... I think that doing that assignment was pivotal in me understanding and recognising his role was probably more than just dad because I had this aspiration to Mm. achieve what he had done. Mm. And that's where um, he became a mentor. Mm. And very much in the work that I do today, he is a mentor. Mm. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But I I wonder whether actually, and maybe we'll have to get him on the line, but whether once he recognises that he is your mentor, whether that helps him kind of puff his shoulders out a little bit and, and tighten his tie a little bit and, and, and live into the role that you've wanted him to become. So I think that that may be beneficial for both parties. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's really learnings powerful. from both sides for sure and I think we've recognised that in conversations mm. because as much as I lean on him, I know he's lent on me. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for mm. sure. And, and that's a great relationship that it becomes actually doesn't matter the age or the position within the, the the relationship we can both contribute to one another and, and help each other get the best out of ourselves yeah absolutely that's a terrific um, synergy to be part of so food you mentioned is significant and you did well enough well you did better than well enough to get where you wanted to go and which was where? What did you do? Did you take a year off after high school? Did you travel? Did you go straight to your dream course? What happened next? Yeah, it was. I did flirt with the ideas of taking a year off or going to study or even doing something wild um, like the America summer camps. Mm. So I floated all those ideas uh, and it came down to visiting Monash University and Deakin University on their open days. And I went to Monash and the moment I stepped on that campus, I thought, I can't do this. Mm. It's not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, The course didn't feel like it was a great fit. And that's where I really started to question that kind of gap year. Mm -hmm. And taking that time off to really think about what I wanted to do. Uh, And then it came down to looking a bit further into the other universities and Deakin had their open day a couple of weeks later. Uh, and I went off with mum, went to the, and didn't have expectations based on my experience mm. at Monash. I really didn't have expectations that I'd be going to university the next year. And I walked onto the campus and it was a completely different mm. feeling. Mm. I said, I pretty much turned around, uh, turned around to mum and said, this is where I want to study. Right. It had a level of comfort um, that I was immediately attracted to. And funnily enough, it reminded me a bit of the Yarra campus 
there was a, a friendliness and a vibe that um, resonated with me. And when I looked at the course, uh, it wasn't so much, the Monash course was very heavy in nutrition and, yeah. and that, that was the pathway that you'd have to choose if you were going into that course. And I was more interested in the food science element of it. Mm. And so when I spoke to the guys at the open day, I quickly realized that this was the course for me. Mm. And it still gave me a level of flexibility if I wanted to introduce some business subjects in as well. So it was quite, um, they were polar opposites in my experience. And that's why I encourage people to go to those open days because they are pivotal in mm. your decision. Well, it was for me in any case. Mm. And so without understanding the course necessarily, is are you just in textbooks learning about food or are you hands-on preparing and laying out menus or laying out recipes? What's the, what did the course involve? Yeah, so this is, again, why I was attracted to the course because it wasn't heavily textbook and there was a huge practical element. Great. So it's a three-year course of food and nutrition. Um, and the nutrition side of it is very textbook and you doing things like public health right through to understanding how to read a nutrition panel, mm -hmm. which are fundamentals if you're dealing with food. But where it really came to life with me is where I majored in food science and this gave me the practical element. So we were in kitchens and we were looking at, you know, if you add butter to a recipe, what does the fat actually do? Mm -hmm. And so understanding the science behind why you might, if you remove sugar from say an ice cream, what are you gonna end up with? Um, and so there was lots of time in the labs. There were lots of time. Um, I did an internship with a yogurt company. Uh -huh. um, I did uh, part of the course. You also do quite a lot of science, just general science, which helps give you the understanding of food. So you were in science labs and kind of took me back to my year 11 chemistry days. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite broad um, in terms of what you were exposed to and the different formats that you learnt in. So there mm. were seminars and lectures, but also those very much practical elements. Mm. So it's a three year program. And at the end of that, you graduate and yep. you did really well because you're self-motivated and you want to do the best you can. Then you go out to work. Yes. So this is where you then stumped with, I've got to find a job. Yes. And what, um, what banner did you get to or what title did you enroll as in terms of uh, occupation? So I was quite lucky because through the internship that I did do, I, I managed to network and I got a job at Twinings, the tea company. Mm. And so I moved from being a, a graduate of food science and nutrition into someone called a product development trainee. Mm. And so I would go to their Jarrah Hot Chocolate and Twinings head office in Roeville and sit in their lab, which was sat above their massive manufacturing facility. And I'd play around with very much what I did at uni with playing with different flavorings and different powders, um, trying to come up with new new ideas for their hot chocolate range. So, so, so did you say Jarrah? Mm-hmm. So cookies and cream hot chocolate, Yep. which I've got in my cupboard at home at the moment. Do you have anything to do with that? I had to do with the coconut one. So okay, yes, that yes. was my claim to fame. Um, okay. And I, I worked there for, it was nearly eight months um, that I was there. And yeah, it was a, a case of you work on new and exciting things like flavors, but then you also work on the not so fun things like cost reduction and, and <laughs> how we can reduce our cost of goods because things are going up. 
So, you know, and and it was involved with collaboration within the marketing team and within my product development team as well. So it was gave me a cross functional exposure. Wow. Okay, so that's eight months, let's call it 12 months there, but that gives you the opportunity to play with the science of it and gives you exposure to real work and you're earning real money and that's that's important and you're growing up and expressing creativity as well and that's a beautiful thing, but you don't stay there. You no. want more because you're self-driven, you want to be the best you can be and moving some chemicals around that turn into nice flavours isn't enough for you. So what happens next? Yeah, so it was through that experience uh, that and that cross-functional exposure to the brand team where I realised, although I love food and I, and I have a great science understanding, I actually didn't want to be in a lab and I wanted to be in amongst people because although I'm an introvert when I first meet people and I'm a bit shy, once I'm comfortable with them, I'm very much an extrovert and crave that kind of people collaboration, which I wasn't necessarily getting in the lab, um, mm. creating these new hot chocolates. And so through that, I had a conversation with my manager and looked at going back to Deakin to potentially, you know, upskilling in the marketing side because I was liking the brand manager's role better. Um, but there was still this itch that I hadn't quite uh, settled uh, after I finished school when I was playing up whether I go on a gap year or whether mm. I go to Deakin. Mm-hmm. There was still this itch that I wanted to go overseas. Mm. Uh, and she said to me, this is the time to go. Mm. So I did a bit of Googling and I spoke with a friend who was also moving over to the UK. And she said, look, there's this course that I'm going to do my master's in, another Yarra student actually, um, who, which I think you would be interested in. So I had a quick look at the course and I remember having dinner with her and it was a master's in advertising and marketing. And I thought, well, if I go to Melbourne Uni and do the same course, it's gonna take me two years and Mm -hmm. this course is going to take me one year. And I don't wanna study anymore because I'm done with study. Um, So I'm really doing this to upskill so that I can get my next role. And I thought, well, throw caution to the wind, let's apply and see what comes back. Um, And it was maybe two or three weeks later that I was accepted into the course. Um, and was now facing literally five months to get myself ready to go. Packed and sorted and go. Packed and sorted and go. So it was a very, I remember having the conversation early February, applying middle of February and finding out in March that, yep, you are now going over to Leeds to study your master's. Had you been there before? No, I'd been to London um on a a europe trip with a friend um but never never considered actually living in the uk um and this opportunity is kind of i mean through the right conversations landed in my lap and ticked that box and kind of settled that tickle to go Mm. overseas Mm. so you went there you did that 12 months and you upskilled and you learned new things new perspective new world that was opened up to you and what did that lead to that was probably one of the best things I, I have done in my life. Yeah. Um, I, I had to do things by myself and learn things by myself. Mum and dad were not there. My brother wasn't there. It was mm. just up to me. Um, and so after that year, I thought, well, why don't I stay in the UK? Mm. I'm here now. Um, but uh, <laughs> it happened all at the same time where Brexit was a real thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And 
trying to, for an Australian citizen, trying to get an entry-level job with all the university graduates coming out at the same time proved to be really tricky. So I managed to get an internship at one of the advertising houses in London for a couple of weeks. And I I met with the HR manager there, who was an Aussie as well. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, a word of advice, in this climate, go home, upskill, um, and get to a middle managed position. And then if you want to come back, come back. Right. He said, this is not the right time to be staying in London. Now, I could have said to him, well, no, I'm going to make it happen. But I, I wanted to come home. There was an element that I thought, no, I've, I've done this little overseas trip. I've mm. settled that tickle and I'm, and I'm ready to come home. Mm. So I made the decision, I finished in the September and I was home by the October. And that's... Wow. Yeah. I did a few tri- uh, stops along the way. Yeah. Um, and then decided, well, right, now I've got to get a real job again. So the job search continu- continued, mm. um, this time not doing it in the UK, but mm-hmm. doing it in Australia. And I started to hit some roadblocks uh, in terms of, you know, You've got two university degrees, but not a lot of experience. Mm. And I feel a lot of graduates um, get that same feedback Mm. and it's really tricky. So again, through speaking to lots of different people, I kind of narrowed down the field of what what roles would complement where I want to go to, which was a, a marketing role at the time. And everyone came back to me and through interviews actually that I attended, everyone said, have you tried, have you thought about a sales role? Um, and now naturally that wasn't something that I'd even considered because mm. sales was not my forte. <laughs> um, and I, I knew that it was going to test my comfort zone. But at this point I was, I was keen to get into one of the big global, um, food manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So a role came up at Fonterra, which is a big dairy company, um, based out of New Zealand for a business development executive. And so when I saw that title, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> no idea. Um, but I knew that, you know, it was a big company. It would help me develop and grow. And I may as well just attend the interview. Hmm. Well, kind of the rest is history because I've been with them for five years. Excellent. Um, and been lucky enough to grow with them through sales into marketing and now most recently in innovation. So... Okay, so innovation again, so back into creativity again. So does that mean you're putting ideas together and tasting it and seeing if it works? Yeah, so, you know, if you think back to the conversation we just had around twinings, um, it's all similar themes are coming back. Um, And now, so I deal with those product techs, so what I was five, six years ago. Okay. I work with them directly. Yeah. Um, but I, my role is slightly different in that I'm not lab-based and doing the science. I also have an element of kind of what I call blue sky thinking and what's the next idea Great. that we're bringing through. Yeah. So just like in with Jarrah, the Jarrah brand, there is some hot chocolate on the shelves that has, without anybody really having their fingerprints in it, of course, but you've got some say in what's on the shelves there now, and I can go and buy it. With Fonterra, are there things out there that you would put your signature on? Yeah, absolutely. So I started this role in November last year Uh and picked up 
three very exciting snacking projects underneath the mainland cheese brand. Okay. So most people, when they walk past Woolies or Coles, will know that mm. um, know that brand on the shelf. And they said to me, "You've got an almighty task ahead of you, but uh, we need to launch some new snacking products in August." Mm-hmm. Now, to put it into context, most new product development projects take about 12 months to get through, but now I had six months. Right. So, as I said, that inner drive came out. Yes, thankfully, <laughs> you've, you've built that over time. and uh... Yeah, definitely, and, I, and that kind of determination to succeed. Huh. I just kind of, I took the bull by the horns, if you want to call it, and yeah. thought, right, how am I going to bring these three projects to life? And so I put a lot of my heart and soul into it in the first quarter of this year. And um, because of that, Mainland is now launching 10 new products across the snacking range in Coles and Woolies and IGAs. Wow. Are you allowed to tell us what we should be looking out for? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's some new kids snacking products coming out. So, you know, that can fill lunch boxes and things like pizza shapes and cheese cubes or um, cookies and cheese cubes. We found through research that kids have a a love for sweet and savoury together. Yes, yes. Um, And then within the adult snacking range, you're going to be seeing things like salami bites paired with nice crackers and relishes. So kind of a more gourmet offering that if you're looking for a snack, um, you'll be able to go to Coles and Woolies. Nice work. That must make you very proud to know that you know, I, I had something to do with that. In fact, I had a really big thing to do with that. And then now other people are benefiting from that. Other people get to enjoy that because I decided to bring my drive and my determination and look what we've made. Absolutely. And I think we go back to your original question, why I was gravita- why I gravitate to food in the first place. Mm. And where I learned that was definitely, you know, within my year 12 subject is that it brings people together and you're able to put a smile on someone's face. Mm. And now to be able to do that, I mean, I do that with my own recipes and cooking at home, but to be able to do that on a, a national scale with a global brand, yeah. That's proud cool, is a, is yeah. a, a definitely a word that I use. Absolutely, absolutely, wow. So what what is success? Now, maybe pride being, and, and genuinely proud of your achievements, that's part of it, but what, what have, have you made it? Is this is this it, or is this going to be a, a launch pad to the next iteration of you and the impact that you might have? It's it's a good way to put it because yeah, pride is definitely in there, and succeeding is is very much for me goal oriented. Mm. So putting in place those goals, and I, I definitely see that in both my personal and my professional life. And if I look back on it. Maybe not that I wrote the goals down because I'm not someone who will write them down, but I'm very much someone who has them in mind um, mm. as a measure of success. Mm. Um, so the, the key one was obviously finishing my first degree um, was, was a key milestone. And then it was really getting into the, into the workforce. Mm. That was a milestone. And really getting this job in innovation was a key milestone. Mm. Um on a personal level, I've, I've been saving for a house for a very long time um, and recently bought this year. So how I measure success is very much through goal setting and that's the way that I've always done it. Mm-hmm. In terms of is is that success for me, <laughs> I have to say no because of this inner drive. Yeah. Um, I have a, a career pathway that I am, I guess, adamant at achieving 
Um, and I do want to, I guess, if you call it climb the corporate ladder. ladder. Yeah. And I do want to lead a business one day. Mm, mm. And I guess there is an element of that that might be seen as um, uh, almost a bit brutal, but I wouldn't wouldn't see you as being brutal because you're kind and caring and empathetic and you you have good taste and like literally good taste and and creative and all of those and innovation and all of those attributes and i don't think there's anything wrong with also being aspirational and and almost yes i've experienced success and yes i'm very proud of that but but not settling there because who knows what else is possible and let's keep working let's keep stretching keep growing keep learning to see what else we can do uh, i think it's terrific to have high goals definitely and i would i think this also comes from my love in sport i'd be lying if i didn't say it was competitive yes yes so i think it's a combination of being aspirational determined and just flat out competitive uh-huh. and and that can almost be a driver in, in itself yeah, um, competitive definitely. with yourself. What did I achieve last time? Oh, well, I want to do better than that this time. Yeah, and there's and there's a lot to learn and a lot to see, and and that's what keeps me motivated. Mm. And learning through other people as well in terms of their journey and and potentially what they've done mm. um, is what also is a motivator to me. I love it. I love it. We're going to move now, Caroline, to what I like to call the lightning round, where there's going to be a bunch of short and sharp questions. Some which might be one word answers, others might take a sentence or two to describe, but I wonder if you're ready to strap yourself in for the sure. lightning round. Sure. Um, Caroline Stedman from the class of 2011. What house were you in? I was in Arnott. And were Arnott any good back in your day? Oh, I think so. But uh, I think animals really stole the show when I was in at Yarra. Uh-huh. What would you say was your great contribution to your house? Swimming. Mm-hmm. I was a swimmer. Very good. So if it came to house athletics or house swimming, you would put your hand up for house swimming. House swimming, for sure. I was not someone interested in athletics. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was there a, 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 a musical or a drama, whether you were playing the trombone or the flute or something else, or maybe you were in the audience, something that really sticks out as, as being a, a favourite memory? I was not a part of this one, um, but one of the shows that definitely sticks in my mind is Les Mis. Yes, I, I hear that a lot. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I, I missed Les Mis. I was not here and part of the community at that point, but it was very early on that I heard a lot about it and people were still raving about it years afterwards. Yeah, it was exceptional. Fantastic. Uh, I wonder if you can tell us, what was your first car? I had a little charcoal Mazda 2. Very nice. It's still running? No, I sold that when I moved to the UK. It was very sad to see her go, but um, I realised I was too tall for a little Mazda (laughs) 2. Tell us, um, back in your school days, what might we find in your lunchbox? There was, I remember morning tea was a combination of like a trail mix Mm -hmm. um, and usually a piece of cake. Uh, And then lunchtime, I kind of varied between a salad roll or a salad itself. Uh And did you have a hand in making these and putting them together or was it? uh... Yeah, I think towards the end of my schooling, I definitely did. And I think that came from my actual interest in food and Mm. and from being in the sports side, I was also wanting to fuel myself. 
yes. adequately. Um, so yeah, I definitely had a, a hand in that. Yes. Is there a book that you've read that you would recommend, whether it's in the field of, uh, of innovation or, or food or uh, sport or striving to be your best? Is there a book you can say, no, mate, are you a reader? I'm not a reader, um, and I guess another confession is that I didn't read the Year 12 English books. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and I'd say the books that I do read these days are my recipe books. So I am I love Jamie Oliver's and I love Donna Hay. Do you remember the school captains from 2011? Yes. Uh, that would be Tash Bloomer, who we're very good family, family friends, and Noah Johnson. Very good. Well done. Is there a piece of work that you're particularly proud of from your school days, whether it be in the food tech area or any other area of school life, that it might be something that you um, had submitted it and had it returned and got some feedback and you tried again and again, or it might be just a, a maths test that you aced? Uh, it's an easy one. Um, the one that sticks out is my food portfolio. Mm. Um, and it was, I just remember vividly always going back to Miss Carvel's office in the middle school building asking for advice just to make it as perfect as we could yeah. uh, as there was an opportunity to be put on show at the museum. Yeah. So unfortunately didn't make that, but that was the goal in mind. Uh-huh. Excellent. Excellent. Um, thank you for inviting me. I'm coming over to your place for dinner. And you're, of course, going to prepare the meal. What's your go-to? What's uh, something that you would cook up for us? So an easy one for dessert is my lemon meringue pie. Uh And most people who come over will know that that's a show feature. Great. In terms of the main meal, um, at the moment, I'm very much interested in Mexican. So you you might get some tacos or I might do a burrito, but definitely within the Mexican field. Followed up with uh, lemon meringue. Definitely. I, I would I would take that. Take me now out of the picture and you can invite three other people from any time, any era, any background, any moment in history, dead or alive. Who are three people you'd like to come over for dinner? I think these three people will say a lot about who I am and probably what I've spoken to you about on this podcast already. So the first one would be Janine Ellis, and she's the owner of Boost. Um, a lot of admiration to her career journey and someone who I've looked up to in, in how she's exploded her franchise. The second person, um, credit and nod to my food journey and has been there from the very beginning is Jamie Oliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, big expectations when you invite a chef over <laughs> for dinner. You want to get that... Uh, that- Lemon meringue, just right. Just no. right. Um, and then the third one, just because I have total admiration to the way that she plays, is Serena Williams. Mm, mm. Yeah, so it is. It's a collection of your own passions and interests and, and those at the top of the game in each of those areas. I, I like that. That's good. I wonder if um, in your experiences of travel, whether uh, there is somewhere that you might have not been able to experience as long as you wanted to, or is there a, a bucket list destination that once we're able to, you'd love to go and visit or visit again? There is a bucket list destination um, and probably something I'd have to do on a tour these days, but is Central America and specifically Costa Rica. Mm. Just the, I guess the um, terrain and the waterfalls and the activities that you can do, I've always been attracted to. Mm. Um, but if you talk about where I'd go back to is probably 
on my next bucket list is back to South Africa, where I'm from. Aha, uh -huh. yes, of course, of course. And do you think that from a, call it a family heritage or a cultural perspective, are there any things that you love about South African cuisine that influence you and your tastes or your interests? It's an interesting one because I wouldn't say that from a cuisine perspective, um, South African or African does come through. Um, definitely from a, an artwork and a music and just their cultural and the languages, I'm mm. very fascinated. But from mm. a food perspective, it hasn't really influenced where I am today. Mm. I want to offer a phrase to you, a term that you might resonate with. And, and I wonder if you can tell us what it means and then what does it mean? And the phrase is lavavi oculus. Do you recall what that means? It's our school motto. I do remember it. Is it? Oh, I could be wrong, but we lift up our eyes. Yes, exactly what it is. We lift up our eyes. What does that mean? For me, it resonates kind of to that that point where there is. If we lift up our eyes, there's endless opportunities, and it's a kind of, it's up to you whether you take them. Mm. And so, I guess that's where I see my ambition and, and opportunities come to life mm. with that phrase. Yes. And you keep reaching the top and then your vantage point changes and so you can see further. Yeah. And then you aspire to the next hilltop yep. and then you, you push on again, which is a great way to live, I think. It's a very impressive moment to speak with you and I would say still very young in your career and with determination and with a fighting spirit have already come so far and achieved a lot and can point to products that say, yeah, yeah that's me, <laughs> and still have aspirations for the future. It's a, it's a career that certainly is, uh, is well worth us keeping an eye on. Um, I wonder if while you're at school, you had a nickname. I did, um, and it carries on to this day. A lot of people call me Caro. Okay. Just drop the line. <laughs> <laughs> So, so while you are creative and innovative, your friends maybe not so much. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just much easier. Like... It's the true Australian way to just shorten everything and Caroline being a three-syllable name just didn't work. That's true, that's true. You mentioned earlier um, the significant role that your family have played in, in your journey and, uh, and, and of course, how did you travel to school? What was that experience like? Yep, so uh, we lived in the same street with um, other people that went to Yarra. Uh, and so while my brother was still completing junior school at, mm. at a different school, I went to school with this family every morning. So I started off um, waiting at the top of the driveway for them to drive past and I'd jump in the car and yeah. that's how I got to school. And then it changed once um, there were three of them and the two of us and it was rotations between the two mums and yes. which days you would go with which mum and who you'd come home with and with the multiple sport commitments, mm. you um, needed to share. You needed to share. Yes, yes, so. very good. Caroline, you've been really generous with your time and I appreciate your storytelling and, and allowing us to have a little insight into uh, what drives you and, and some of your uh, progress and growth. So I'm here with my last question and it's a two-pronged question and, and that is, what is the one question that you really wanted me to ask you? And then can you answer that question? 
Are you still in contact with people you went to Yarra with? Caroline Stedman from the class of 2011. Are you still in contact with any of the friends that you went to Yarra with? I am. Uh, and there is a group of eight of us that are, I think, closer than ever 10 years out. They all came to my dinner party on Saturday night and said if I didn't give them a shout out, I'd be in serious trouble. So that's a shout out to um, all the guys I went to school with. Excellent work. Excellent work. Caroline, you have been on the Inspired by Yarra podcast and it seems to me that there are certainly traces back to your time at Yarra that have helped you to become the outstanding young woman that you are. And in that sense, I think we could proudly say that you have been inspired by Yarra. But no doubt, you continue to be an inspiration to Yarra. So thank you for your time, your storytelling. Thanks for the impact that you're going to make on the world, not only on our supermarket shelves and the <laughs> business world, but I think uh, even bigger and better things to come. So thank you. Thanks, Paul, for inviting me. Thank you, Caroline. Like I said, huh? Well-spoken, articulate, a visionary, a go-getter, an innovator somebody who I'm confident is going to make a significant impact on more than just the supermarket shelves and therefore our pantries, but in many ways, big and small in the future. Certainly somebody who's been inspired by Yara and somebody who we're very, very proud of and continues to be an inspiration to Yara. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'd love you to share it with your community and we'd love you to come back. Join us again next episode where we'll sit down again with another Yog, a Yarra Old Grammarian and see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. I want to encourage you to make the most of every opportunity you have today to head on out there into the challenges and adventures of your life today. And do what you can to make a positive impact in the world around you.